My name is Peyton Faust. Um, my wife and our two daughters have been uh, members here for about a year. We've been coming to Mount Hoare for about two years, and I'm a family medicine physician here um, with Lexington Family Practice. You know, I think um, one of the most foundational times of my life was actually when I was a resident in Greenwood, and um, I really feel like I was called to be there. Um, I had several incredible role models there that really poured into me and my wife and our marriage and really discipled us there. And that's really translated to what I do every day in practice. Um, so that's sort of where I learned the skills um, and the importance of prayer with patients. Um, and that's kind of probably my biggest uh, launching point for my ministry here in Lexington is um, not only clinical practice, but also just partnering with patients in prayer. In medicine especially, it's a, it's a huge case of the haves and the have-nots. And we know that um, despite our government's best intentions, there's a huge limitation as far as access to healthcare. And um, you know, the have-nots truly suffer. Um, and there are folks that are dying and, and suffering tremendously just because they don't have access to healthcare. So one thing that I think that God's really placed on my heart is first off that truth, but also how he wants to use, hopefully me as well as others to kind of address that need. God's really prepared me through training um, to be able to serve the underserved. And Columbia has a um, tremendous need. Um, they have a, a hugely underserved population from a medical standpoint. And recently he's just um, put a few great opportunities um, on my plate to be able to hopefully play at least a small part in meeting that need. So, you know, one phrase that we throw around a lot that I think we don't give enough thought to is what it means to be a follower of Christ and how our life should look like Christ. And um, if we're going to truly follow Him, we're going to follow Him to the cross, right? So we need to suffer, I think, just like He did. So, you know, we know that in Scripture it teaches us to rejoice in our suffering. So recently I'm coming to understand that on a few different levels, I guess, um, as far as giving beyond tithing. Recently we've been able to sponsor um, a few friends of ours from residency who are going on to do long-term missions in Algeria. With being able to support them and understanding how huge their financial need is just to be able to realize their mission goals down there, we are given the point where we're a little bit more uncomfortable. And through that, we've really grown, I think. And we, we've learned to not place so much value on the financial side of things and the financial security side of things. And it's been tremendously rewarding. One area of scripture in which we see this is the parable of talents and you know how Jesus sort of teaches us that to whom much is given, much is expected. You know, I know that here at Mount Horeb, um, we have so many folks that give generously, but we also know that there are, we're a blessed church. We live in a very blessed area. I think that financially, a lot of folks um, in Mount Horeb are in a healthy position. I think that God really has big plans for Mount Horeb going forward as far as what we're called to do in terms of our actual service, in terms of our financial giving, um, but to really get back toward that goal of realizing God's kingdom here and now. How about that young man, huh? Yeah? Yeah. Peyton, Peyton's actually in, in my small group, and I got to say, he is he is challenging me and teaching me so much about what it looks like to be faithful, right? To, to put to work the resources and the gifts that God has given us. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 25. There's a pew Bible in front of you, so if you didn't bring yours, you can use that. But I'd love for you to have this passage 
uh, actually in front of you this morning. So Matthew chapter 25. Now, as many of you know, I'm a relatively new parent, right? My, my oldest is five, so it's still kind of new. And so much of, of how I'm like seeing the world and understanding my faith is happening through that lens, right? And so I really appreciate you all being patient and allowing me to share that with you. I know many of the stories that I tell are about my kids. I'm sorry, not sorry. It's just kind of where I'm living at right now, right? Thanks for, for bearing with me. But I can remember when our first was born, my son, how surreal it was to like even look at him, right? It was weird. It was sort of like looking at a part of myself outside of my body. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Just sort of what it, what it felt like. And it, of course, this was true when my, when my daughters came along, but with my son, it was also new. I don't know how else to describe it, but it was almost like looking at me, but it wasn't me. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, like a piece of my heart literally fell off and grew a face, which is just really weird to think about. But that's what it felt like, right? And then as you watch your kids as they grow up, you, you begin to realize that they resemble you in more ways than just their appearance, right? Like, in fact, a couple years ago, my wife texted me this picture while I was at the, in the office at work. <laughs> All the text message said was, your son, period. <laughs> I actually have another picture of me wearing the same outfit, and no, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you had a chance to meet my kids, my two oldest, here's, here's Rowan and Gwen, or Gigi Baby. Those faces, right? Apparently something that they learned from their dad. Yeah, that's what we do at dinner, right? No, but we, our kids begin to resemble us in, in way more than, than just their appearance. And one of the things that's becoming so apparent to me as I grow in this thing called a dad, is that my life, the story I'm telling with my life, isn't just about me anymore. I'm beginning to realize that it's going to carry on. It's going to continue in the lives of those who come after me. At the same time, since becoming a parent, I'm also realizing that I'm a lot more like my, my parents than I ever thought I was. Like, have you, ever, have you ever had that terrifying moment where you heard yourself say something that your parents used to say and you swore you never would, yeah? You've heard yourself do it. Isn't that awful? It's like, stop crying. I'm going to give you something to cry about. Oh, right? Or if so-and-so jumped off a bridge, would you? Or the weirdest one to me is a bird, in, a, was a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. What does that even mean, right? I know what it means and I've said it before, right? I think all of us can understand that we have been shaped and impacted by the people who have come after us or come before us. At the same time, all of us, we are shaping and we are impacting the people who will come after us. No human being is an island unto themselves. It's not possible. But I guarantee you, everybody in this room, the decisions you're making, your passions, your values, the way you're living your life is probably driven out of a desire to be just like your family or to be nothing like your family. Are you with me? We all come from a legacy, don't we? At the same time, whether we're trying to or not, you and I, we're leaving a legacy. We are impacting and shaping the world around us, the people who will come after us. This weekend, we're wrapping up our stewardship series, which we've called Lock and Key. And we've been really challenging our heart postures as it relates to our resources, to our finances. And I want to finish this series by talking about our legacy. We have to understand is that, that our legacy has everything to do with, with our stewardship, with what we do, with what God has given us. And so today, we're going to finish by talking about that. And my hope, my hope is that all of us can live the kind of legacy, leave the kind of legacy 
that allows us to look back at all in wonder at all the things that God was able to do through us. But it also allows our loved ones to look back with gratitude and appreciation for our faithfulness. Amen? Matthew 25. Let's, let's get into the parable. Jesus begins by talking about this wealthy man who calls together his servants. He's got three servants, and he entrusts each of them a different portion of his wealth. To one, he gives five talents. Sometimes it's referred to bags of gold or bags of silver. Silver, traditionally, it's referred to as a talent. Now, a talent was the equivalent of about 15 years' work worth of labor. So it's a lot of money. If you do the math, it's anywhere from 500000 700000 upwards of a million dollars here in just one talent. Right, so this is a very wealthy, but also very generous master. Wouldn't you agree? And what we find is that the people who were given more actually invest it, and they double their money. But the one who was only given one talent, he hides it in the ground. He buries it. Eventually, the master comes back to settle accounts. So let's pick up. We're going to look at verse 20. It says, The man who had received five bags of gold, or five talents, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. Verse 21, his master replied, ooh, I love this way this sounds. You ready for this? Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you love the way that sounds? I'm gonna read it again. Well done, good and and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags. See, I have gained two more. Here it is again. Verse 23, how about y'all say it with me? His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Whew, I love the sound of that. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. Already we see an identity crisis here. This servant thinks the master's stingy. But has anything that he's done revealed that he's stingy? No. He's unbelievably generous, isn't he? Unbelievably generous. This servant has no idea who this master really is. It's identity crisis. Verse 25. So I was afraid. I'm going to read that again. So I was afraid. We'll come back to that here in a little bit. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Ouch. Sounds a little different than what he was saying earlier, doesn't it? So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless, ouch, servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. You like how that ends, right? Two times Jesus says the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, that phrase does something to me. On the one hand, it kind of stirs up that childlike imagination that still lives inside of me, right? That looks forward to the future with so much anticipation. What is God going to do with my life? All the incredible things I believe God can still do 
through me. At the same time, that phrase also, though, kind of resonates with 33-year-old Nick. And I understand I'm not old, but at the same time, I am realizing very quickly how fast this goes. And that statement also makes me look back and wonder, what have I done with my life? Have I been faithful with what's been given me? Incredible statement, isn't it? Well done, good and faithful servant. I can't think of anything else that I would, I would love for God to say to me one day and for my loved ones to say about me. How about you? So what's it take to live that kind of legacy? Well done, good and faithful servant. Go back to the parable. One of the things that separates the two faithful servants from the one lazy servant is that the two were very much aware of what had been entrusted to them, what had been given to them. It was meant to be invested. It was meant to be put to work. Where on the other hand, the lazy servant He was interested in distancing himself from the responsibility of actually putting his master's resources to work. He didn't want anything to do with that. In fact, go back to verse 25. In verse 25, he says to his master, See, here is what belongs to you. Or a more literal version of this would be, You have what is yours. This was actually a a phrase that was used in first century Jewish transactions between people when somebody was trying to get out of a deal. They wanted nothing to do with it. Is there a way of saying, listen, I'm, I'm done with responsibility for this. You can have it back. I'm, I'm washing my hands of it. You see, what this servant is trying to do is sort of squirm his way out of the responsibility that he's been given. To put these resources to work in a way that would advance his master's interest. Now, let's give him a bit of a break here, right? He didn't invest it, but he also didn't squander it, did he? We're talking about a whole lot of money. It may be a million dollars. He didn't blow it. I sure could think of all sorts of things to do with a million dollars. Could you? I know one thing I'd do. Four-door F-150. I'm going to get that truck one day. It's going to happen, right? That's a whole lot of money. He didn't blow it, right? But he didn't invest it either. Instead, he hid it. You know what he's trying to do? Play it safe. He's trying to stay neutral. But one of the things I learned from this parable, and I hope we all can see, is there's no such thing as neutral in the kingdom of God. And there certainly isn't such, any such thing as safe either. There is no neutral in the kingdom of God. A good and faithful servant kind of legacy, it begins with awareness. Y'all say awareness. You see, every single person in this room, every single one of us, we are leaving a legacy whether we're trying to or not. How we're living our lives, the decisions that we're making, what we're doing with what we have is impacting and shaping the world in some way, shape, or form. We hear that word legacy and we think about like what's in our portfolio, right? How much money we're gonna have to leave the people behind us. That's part of it, but it's even bigger than that. Your legacy is how the story of your life, what you're doing with what you have, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your passions, all of that. How is that impacting and shaping the world? I'm telling you, it is. Even your inaction is shaping the world. Did you know that? What you do with what you have, it shapes and impacts the world. And every single person, every single person, at some point in their life, they wake up to that. They realize it. That what they had, what they did with what they had, it mattered. It might not have mattered much. It might not have made a lot of difference, but it, it was there, and it could have done something. In fact, I was reading this article 
it was a while back, but it was an article about Snoop Dogg. Yeah, that guy. Some of you are like, that's my favorite. Got him on Sirius right now, right? Snoop Dogg is considered to be one of the pioneers of gangster rap. Something to be proud of, right? Well, a little while back, he went down to Jamaica and he had a, what he called a religious experience. Hmm, in Jamaica, right? Whatever that means. But he came back from Jamaica and he decided he no longer wanted to be uh, a gangster rapper. Instead, he wanted to be known as a reggae artist. He said he had some sort of experience down there, and he woke up, and, and the, the, the authors of this article, they were asking him some questions about this experience, and I thought what he said was pretty profound. Here's what he said. He said, you know, I want to make the kind of music that my grandparents can listen to and that my kids can be proud of. I'm not really sure if any of this stuck around for him. I don't really know, and I might be assuming a whole lot here, but it almost seems like Snoop Dogg had this moment of awareness where he realized that what he was doing with what he'd been given, was impacting and shaping the world in some way, shape, or form. And it was almost as if he looked back and he looked at all of it and he wasn't too proud. I'm telling you, every single person has this moment in their life. You're going to have it. Sadly, a lot of us, we wait too long until we get to the end. You know how many conversations people in my line of work have with folks on their deathbed? You know what they're wondering? Was it all for nothing? Didn't matter. I could have done more. You hear things like that. And it's kind of sad. You know, I mean, I think, great, great, thankfully, our, our salvation, our life with God isn't based on what we did. But it's still, a lot of people, at some point in time, everybody wakes up to the fact that what we do with what we have matters. It matters. You're leaving a legacy whether you're trying to or not. There's so much of what's happening here in Matthew 25. It actually reminds me of what takes place in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. When, when God creates this beautiful world, this big and beautiful world, then he creates human beings in his own image and places them right in the middle of it. You know what he says to them? This is the first command, the first blessing of God over humanity. Here's what he says. Here's the world. Do something with it. It's beautiful, isn't it? Now use your energies to steward it, to shape it, to rule over it, to govern it, to take it somewhere. This is what it means to be a human being, folks. We have been given the God-given ability to actually shape the world around us, to steward it. I'll never forget going to, to New York City. How many of y'all been to New York City? It's one of the few experiences in my life that actually lived up to my expectations. And so often I got these real high expectations, then I experience them, I'm like, oh, whatever. Not New York City. The whole time I was doing this. In fact, I'll never forget going to the top of the rock. You ever been there, Rockefeller Center? Best view of the entire city. You go to the top, it's right in the middle of all of it. It was at night, looking around, seeing just how incredible that city is, thinking, man, it's an unbelievable thing to be a human being. We are capable of so much. It's unreal. In fact, if you look in our world today, the majority of the suffering that takes place in the world, you know why it happens? Because of humanity's failure to live out of their God-given identity as stewards of the earth. It's poor stewardship. I mean, it's crazy. We live in a country where people are literally eating themselves to death. We have too much food, while people in other parts of the world, they can't get a single bite to eat. They're starving. It's poor stewardship. Poor stewardship of creation. Or how many of the, the illnesses or things that we experience are a result of us making poor choices with the, with the things that we put in our bodies? Are you with me? It's poor stewardship, Right? 
We're not using our God-given ability. At the same time, majority of the good, the beautiful things that happen in the world, is because humanity actually does something with their God-given ability. We shape it in a positive and a beautiful way. Most important thing I want you to know more than anything right now is that you, turn to your neighbor and say, yes, you. You have been made in the image of God, which means that you have untold potential to shape the world around you. It's true, I'll prove it to you. Did you know right now in our world, a child dies from malaria every 30 seconds. Did you know that? Malaria, you get it from mosquito bites. People like in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, every 30 seconds. A child dies from that. For $10, just $10, you could purchase a mosquito net that would literally save an entire family's life. Could save their whole life from this disease. 10 bucks. I found this past week, the average American spends $14.40 a week going out to get coffee. I'm not talking about the coffee you drink in your house. This is that extra coffee. Starbucks, right? Dunkin' Donuts. $14.40 a week doing that. Imagine if you just made one decision to stop doing that. Instead, you're going to invest that $14 in something like, like mosquito nets for folks who are at risk for malaria. You, you, you could save five families a month. Don't tell me you can't do anything. Man, you are capable of doing so much. One small decision just like that. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Same time, I found that the average person right now in America at least spends about three hours a day on social media, roughly 21 hours a week. Imagine if you just took part of that, part of that, and instead invested it in something like our 1010 after school program, or got involved in student ministry, started mentoring somebody. Do you see what I'm talking about here? You have so much potential. I'm not trying to guilt trip you into this, I'm trying to wake you up to the fact that what you do with what you have matters. Now, you, you look at the world and all the things that are going on, right? And in some ways it's beautiful, in other ways it rips your heart out. You look at the evil. Two ways of looking at that. On one hand, you could say the world's a mess because of all the evil things people are doing. You could also look at it this way. The world's a mess because of all the good things most of us aren't doing. We bought in the lie thinking that there's a neutral. There's no neutral. There's no safe. You've been made in the very image of God, which means whether you like it or not, what you do with what you have matters. You're making an impact. You're leaving a legacy, whether you're trying to or not. The question is, is it a good and faithful servant kind of legacy? You with me? We all friends still. But the past couple times I've been in here, it's just been like, hmm. But literally, I worked myself over with this all week, so I'm just sharing with you my misery at the same time, though, I think this kind of legacy, it's not only about awareness, it's also about audacity. Audacity. I mean, go back to the parable. The person who actually did the most rational thing, the most reasonable thing, you know who it was? It was the guy who hid the money in the ground. That was the smartest thing to do back then. I mean, investing your money in the, in the first century was not safe. That was risky business. So often what people would do is they would hide their money, they would bury it in the ground. In fact, archaeologists are still finding large sums of money in that area of the world. People buried it. It's what they did. We see those two faithful servants, they were driven out of their desire to want to be about their master's business. Right? It was their confidence in his character. Remember, he was generous. They knew that. He was gracious. They knew that. It was their confidence in his character. And their fact that they wanted to see him prosper, that's what drove their audacity. 
But that other servant, and he was driven by fear, wasn't he? In fact, he said it, I was afraid. He's driven by fear, and the only interest that motivated him, you know what it was? Self-preservation. You see, it's the crazy ones we remember, isn't it? Who are the ones we celebrate today? We name schools after. We look at with admiration. They're the crazy folks. And here's what's nuts. The, the crazy thing about it, you know, what, you, know what, you know what they did? They did what most of us know we need to do, but for whatever reason, we didn't do it. That's like the only thing that really separates them from us in most cases. Is that where the rest of us were too afraid, they did it anyway. They stepped out. They put their money where their mouth is. They did what most of us know we need to do. That's what separates them from us. It's the crazy ones that we remember. I mean, how often do we allow things like fear to get the best of us? Fear of failure, fear of being uncomfortable, fear of the sacrifice. I mean, it's like Peyton, talking with Peyton, young doctor in the video, become a good friend of mine. And he was sharing with me when he had this opportunity one of his opportunities is to actually be a part of a, a new free health clinic. It's going to be opening up in downtown Columbia, right on Main Street. Talk about an incredible opportunity for someone to use their gifts as a family doctor to really meet the needs of, of some of the people that God loves. And we were talking about this opportunity, and he said, you know, on the one hand, though, I'm a little scared because it's going to require me to be gone a, a night of the week, away, away from my family. He's got two young girls at home. You know, he was kind of wrestling with the discomfort of that. I got to be away from them one night a week. And we started talking about what does it actually mean to provide for our children? Because it doesn't mean that we're always around all the time. Now, to be honest, some folks in our community, our culture, we need to talk about being around more. But providing for them doesn't always mean that we're just there and that we're paying the bills. Providing for our children is also about creating a worldview for them about inviting them into something that's greater than themselves. And the one thing I was so excited about, you know, Peyton's going to be investing what God is doing in Columbia. There's going to be one day where his daughters get to look back on all that and say, man, my dad, my dad was a part of that. That's legacy. That's audacity. It's the crazy ones that we remember. And I, I wrestle with this a lot as a pastor. Can I get real vulnerable with you for a second? Hear all these nightmare stories about pastor's kids. You know what I'm talking about? Here's one of my biggest fears. My kids are going to grow up hearing me preach about the countercultural, upside-down, revolutionary way of Jesus. I'm always going to preach about that. But my fear is they're going to watch me live out some lame version of the American dream where our number one interest is our own comfort and our biggest concern in life is our own safety and where the most exciting thing that happens is like we get to go on vacation once a year. woo that's not a good and faithful servant kind of legacy. It's not what I want for my kids. I want them to develop a worldview that, that sees that God's inviting them to follow him into the broken places of the world and partner with him in putting the pieces back together. That's what I want. Is that what you want? It's the crazy ones we remember. My parents, you know what? My parents did a great job of this, especially my mom. My mom, before I was born, my mom was an alcoholic. And when she found out she was pregnant, she started going to AA meetings. And she eventually, she experienced sobriety. She gave her life to Jesus in the parking lot after an AA meeting. I grew up going to AA meetings. They had really good cookies. I remember that. Right? But once my mom experienced sobriety, she committed the rest of her life to living out the 12th step. You know what that is, 12th step? You become a sponsor. It means once you experience sobriety, you go back and you help other people through the process. And sometimes this meant that my mom allowed people to come and live in our home because they had nowhere else to go. They'd lost everything because of their addiction. 
but they had a place to stay with us. And we didn't have a whole lot growing up either. We, you know, we were pretty tight, and it required some sacrifice, right? At the same time, being a parent now, I realize the risk involved with that. And open your home up to some of these folks who are in that place in life. That's a little dangerous, wouldn't you agree? I do remember this one lady, she wanted to thank us for allowing her to come stay with us. And so she took Pledge, you know Pledge? It's that wood cleaner. And we had a linoleum floor in our kitchen, and she used Pledge on the linoleum. I was the first one to discover that she had. It was very slick. In fact, I would take our, our dog and I would throw him across the floor because he couldn't stop. It was great. But that involved risk, didn't it? I learned from an early age, though, that there's nothing off limits in the kingdom of God, not even our house. And parents, I got to be honest. What do we really need to protect our kids from? Sacrifice? Discomfort? Or apathy and indifference? What sort of worldview are we creating for our children? What are we inviting them into? It's the audacious ones we remember, the crazy folks. Am I right? So it involves awareness, it involves audacity, and finally, a good and faithful servant kind of legacy. It's all about action. See, those two faithful servants, they were commended for what they did, not for what they intended to do. We all got great intentions. What's the follow-through like? In fact, most of the times you read through Jesus' parable, parables, almost all the times in the Gospels, he teaches a parable not to teach us something that we didn't already know. You know why he tells a parable? To get us to do what we already know we're supposed to do. That's the point of most of the parables. Action. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's what Jesus says. It's action. See, a good and faithful servant kind of legacy, it's all about action. I mean, even the people that we love to remember, right, we look back on their lives in awe and wonder. You know why, why we remember them? It's because of what they did. Even the people we quote all the time, the reason we quote the words that they said is because of the lives that they lived. I'm tired of Christianity just being a bunch of warm sentiments. We slap on bumper stickers and we argue about what if we actually lived it? What would the world be like? Man, imagine this. What would the world be like if all the professing Christians actually allowed what they believed to influence and shape how they live? What would that be like? I promise the world would look a whole lot different. Wouldn't you agree? It's action. Legacy is all about action. Parents, we got to learn this one. I mean, that line that we love to use, do what I say, not as I do, that doesn't work. Most of the time it backfires in our face. But things like passions, values, spiritual practices, financial practices, these things are caught more than they're taught. We want our kids to have these things. Guess what? We better have them. We better be living them on a daily basis. The best parenting advice I ever got in my life was quite simply this. Nick, you got to be the person you want your kid to be. We complain about character flaws in them. Oh, wait, first, first of all, where, what about you? You see what I'm saying here? We're not going to always get it right. Of course we're going to slip up. But then sometimes the greatest thing we can do as a parent is teach them how to say they're sorry. By us saying we're sorry. They meant we messed up. You see what I'm saying here? Legacy is all about action. We've got to practice what we preach. It's all about action. I think if anything, what all this can do is sort of wake us up to the importance of right now. This moment. Right here. Right now. What we're doing with what we have in this moment. Because the present matters. 
You see, legacy isn't something that we just wake up one morning and pick up or pay for and decided to hand it off to somebody. It's not how legacy works. Legacy is something that is built every single day by doing the right thing. Our present is not detached from our future. We tend to live that way. I'll just do whatever I want right now. One day I'll get around to it. It doesn't work like that. What you're doing right now with what you have, it's impacting and shaping the future for the people who will come after us. It's how this sort of thing works. And I'll be honest with you, church, we are here today, right now, in this situation, as a church, because of the faithfulness of the people who have come before us. And this church is incredible. We are in a very unique situation right now as churches go. We're growing. Most churches aren't. We're seeing some amazing things happen here. And you want to know why? It's because 20, 30 years ago, some people decided to put their money where their mouth is. To invest in what God is doing here. Not only with their money, with their time, with their prayers, with their service. They have been faithful. I want to say to you on behalf of all of us, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. My question, though, is this. 20 years from now, who's going to be grateful for us? What are they going to be looking back on from our faithfulness and going, whoa, I can't believe they did that. Y'all with me? Now, I want to say this. My wife and I, we moved back to South Carolina. You want to know why I moved? Because of you guys. We had a really great situation going on in Ohio. Thanks for ruining it. Seriously. It was a hard decision for us to make. We prayed about it for a couple of years, about this idea of moving back here. And this opportunity opened up, and it was, it was unreal. But we came back because of this. As incredible as Mount Horeb's past has been, it's been amazing. I believe we haven't even scratched the surface. I believe that this church... And I had some opportunities to go some, to some pretty incredible places, but I kept coming back to this place because I believe this church is uniquely positioned to make a huge kingdom of God impact. So much so that we can spark revival. We can spark movement. Don't you love that word? Movement. Imagine that. Movement of people who are, who are passionate about other folks finding their life in Jesus. And who want to see families healed, marriages restored, addictions broken, hungry people fed, oppressive systems confronted. That's what I want to be a part of. What do you want to be a part of? I believe that this church is positioned to be a part of that, to be a part of a movement. You know what that requires, though? You. All of you. Not just some of us. All of us. That's what a movement is. It's when everybody involved gets involved. In fact, I'll tell you the moment when the church first moved from just a meeting in somebody's house to a movement. You know what happens? Early on in the book of Acts. Jesus tells them, you're going to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. But once the Spirit comes upon you, I want you to get out of here. You're going to take the good news to Judea, Samaria. You're going to go out to the end of the, of the earth. A couple chapters later, guess where they still are? Jerusalem. These things are nice. It's comfortable. We like being comfortable, don't we? Then persecution comes. First persecution comes, and it says this, that everybody except for the apostles, you know who the apostles were? Me. Staff. Clergy. Whatever you want to call it. They were the folks who had all the titles to be able to do the ministry. It says that everybody except for them scattered. They had to leave Jerusalem. And then here's my favorite part. You know what it says? Those who were scattered, so who's, who's that? It's you. Preach the gospel everywhere they went. That's when the church became a movement. It's when everybody involved realized that what happened was just as much their responsibility as it was anybody else. That gets me excited, church. 
we want to see things change, everybody in here has to buy in, has got to be a part of it, has to invest what they've been given, their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their resources, and investing in God's purposes. That's what this weekend's all about. That's why we do this every week, every year. It's a gut check to make sure that we are prioritizing our master's business. And here in a moment, you're going to be invited to come forward and to bring your commitment cards. And I hope you'll do that. I really do. During worship, if you didn't get a chance to fill it out, that's fine. It's okay. And it's not just about your money. We also need your time. <laughs> we'll take your money, by the way. We've been scheming as of late. We got some plans to put it to work. And I'm super excited about what I think God is going to do through Mount Horeb in the next year or two. I think years after that, it's going to be incredible. So don't get me wrong. We'll take it. But we also need your prayers. We need your time and your abilities and your gifts to be a part of this thing, this beautiful thing called Mount Horeb Church. Same time, you've been given a key. This key rep- represents everything we've learned through this series about how generosity unlocks this really beautiful life. But at the same time, you know what this key rep- represents to me? Is that what happens here? It's yours. You've been given the keys to the kingdom. That the life and the work and the ministry of this church is just as much your responsibility as it is anybody else's. So put this key somewhere where you're going to see it. To remember that you are a part of the legacy that God is making here at Mount Horeb Church. Amen? You all pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the gift of getting to be a part of what you're about. I thank you in advance of what you're going to do to your people here at this church. Lord, give us bigger God dreams. Open our eyes to all the opportunities to invest in what you're doing in the world and show us what that next right thing to do is. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.